Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome everyone to the Story Box. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Story Box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Storybox. I'm glad that you have decided to return for yet another exciting and thrilling week of unboxing more incredible human being stories. This week is no exception to all the other weeks. I'm kicking off Monday with a bang with someone that I guess would grip your attention very, very quickly the moment I read out who this person is. But her name to start off with is Nancy J. Gantz. Now, here's what she does. She's not only a best-selling author, she's also an internationally certified executive and parenting coach and Harvard-trained mediator and negotiator. Now, already my mind is, is spinning when I'm reading that out for the amount of avenues that I could have gone down during our conversation, but to continue going, using her proprietary parenting tools and techniques that she developed over decades working with parents and children. She helps parents to lay the foundation for healthy emotional development, decisive thinking, a positive mindset, and proactive conflict resolution skills. She has a best-selling book out called Finding Peace at the Center of the Storm, which hit the number one category in new releases on Amazon. And right now, Nancy has got a new series of books called Feel Good Fables. Now, these are stories that subtly guide children to become empowered decision makers, confident in their own skin, how to navigate through grief, overcome obstacles, grow in empathy and appreciation of the diverse world around them. Her books are titled, or this one in particular is titled, Tina Searches for Her Dream. This is the first of the 12 books in the collection, which is released right now, so you can get your hands on on a copy right now. Just search up um, Feel Good Fables on Google and you should be able to find it. But I'll also put the links below. I highly encourage parents out there that want to help educate their kids through all these difficult situations that kids oftentimes find themselves in. I mean, I wish I had uh, this kind of education Uh, Growing up, it would have been very, very worthwhile, but uh, you can today. So what inspired Nancy to actually write these children's books was the response to situations that her clients 
children and our own children face from bullying, dealing with friends, moving away, or feeling less than in comparison to others, to needing uh, to learn the importance of sustainability and so much more. She has a message rooted in confidence, self-love, and empathy. If that doesn't already come across, she believes it's equally important for children to see themselves represented in the books they read, and she is committed to uh, basically helping people of all diverse forms. And when you purchase your copy, you can purchase one. This I think it was pretty clever. You can purchase one from a different skin tone of the lead character from lightest medium to deepest option, which we do talk about uh, in this episode with Nancy, why she decided to go uh, down that road in the first place. But this is going to be a very, very inspiring and challenging episode for many people. Uh, we had such a lovely conversation that I know you guys are going to draw up uh, so much. So without me going on and on and on, Please, if you do get something from it, share it around, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, watch the full video over on YouTube. All the links for everything are in the show notes below. So with that being said, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to dive into the story box and hear the feel-good fables and the story of none other than Nancy J. Gantz. It's wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to have you here. It really is. Um, the introduction that I just read out was quite in-depth. There's so many avenues that I could actually go down. But before we go into all that, your backstory, everything, um, I have one question that I, I love asking all my guests at the very, very start, which is, what does success look like to you? Mm. Well, each person, everyone is here for a reason and a purpose and has a divine soul expression and vibration. So success to me starts with being your essential self. And whatever gets in the way of that or helps to open it and accelerate it is often what we hear, what we're told, what we see, what we experience. And so much of that starts when we're a child. So when we're children. And for example, when my kids were really young, and I mean, like they were still using a pacifier young, <laughs> they started to be approached by people with that classic question that's been asked for eons, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And as well-intentioned as that is, the question is really a huge hazard mm -hmm. because it conflates who we are with what we do. Mm -hmm. So normally and typically, I think that whenever you can allow your kids to speak for themselves and answer questions, it's good to do so. But in that case, I would jump right in. And so when someone would say, what do you want to be when you grow up to them? I would say themselves. If you're asking what they want to do, they're a little young to know. And if you're asking me what I would deem to be success once they're an adult, it would be that they have the courage to say yes to life, to try, 
So in that moment, even though I was looking at the adults, my kids, of course, were overhearing that they should just be themselves, that they at some point can choose what they do, and that what I considered courage was trying, going for it. So when we de-link what we do from who we are, it does free us to be that expressive self, to go out there and try. I always say that mistakes are just lessons learned the hard way. Yep. So it frees them up. It frees us up. If we can just realize we're the beings, we're here on earth experiencing good, bad, ugly, COVID, certainly some of the most treacherous times people can face and have faced. But it's all experience. It's all something we can gain and glean and use in the future. But on the other hand, if what we do is who we are, then our identity is all wrapped up in that. And then the risk of going for it, the risk of trying, the risk of of taking those chances and putting ourselves out there becomes too high. Mm. Because any little stumble or perceived failure is a real crush to our identity. So sometimes it makes people want to just lay back and even step out of their own lives. So that's why, to me, the, the foundation of success is the courage to say yes. That is a beautiful, beautiful answer to that question. And I love how you mentioned that question that often gets asked, which is what do you want to be when you grow up? And I felt like I was asked that question all the time. And I would always respond with, I want to be a filmmaker. So I placed my whole identity, my whole being into being a filmmaker. And when that didn't really go the way that I wanted it to go, then I became lost. I became angry. I sort of went back into this little shell and I became miserable. And I realized, and this, I'm only 24 at the moment, but what I realized, and I think it's, it's perfect that you illustrated this, is we have to distinguish between I am versus I do. And exactly. I am is your character. It's your value system. It's your beliefs. It's really your, who you are. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with your job. It is part of your job, but it has nothing to do. Say, for example, if you don't get to do that job, that still doesn't make you less of a human being. You're still a human being. You're still, you've still got blood. You've still got bones. You've still got muscle. You've still got a brain. That is important. That is valuable. That is a purpose. So use that. And that's what I have uh, often learned and I've tried to um, relay to a lot of people that I think you're completely right. We have been asking the wrong kind of question. <laughs> and my question to you would be, Nancy, why, why do we, do, do you know where that question actually started from in the first place in your experience? Well, I'd first like to touch, I, w- I would love to answer that, but I'd first like to touch on what you were just saying there, because what we do is how we're experiencing life. So when you thought you wanted to be a filmmaker and, and I have a question with that. Did you realize before you stepped into it that you really didn't want to do that, but you felt kind of locked in because you had said it for so many years or was it once you experienced it that you realized, no, this isn't really my dream. 
I believed it from the age of eight. So there's a poster up on my wall from Princess Bride. So it's the very top one uh, up on my wall. And that was the movie for me that sort of was like the catalyst of, okay, I want to do this. And the more I kept telling myself that I want to go down this avenue, the more I started to implement things in my life, say, absorb tons of movies, read a lot of books, um, make movies. And then like Steven Spielberg was my, my idol. And I just immersed myself in this world. Uh, and the moment I didn't, I felt like I was lost. I felt like I wasn't being true to what I wanted to do anymore. And that's really like what led me down this, this road of when I didn't actually do it and accomplish what I thought I was going to accomplish going to Hollywood, being the next Spielberg, the whole thing, I didn't feel like I was experiencing life properly and the way that I wanted it to, to go. Um, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. Because <laughs> it is a chattering. One more question with that. How did you make the pivot then? Once you, because you're still a storyteller, you just shifted your genre for telling stories and bringing them out. So. Well, that's, that's the amazing thing, right? Because that's, when I, I had to break and break hard and not everyone goes through the breaking process at, at this kind of age, but I did. And I, I realized that the most important thing, who I am as a human being is I love stories more than I love film. I think stories are more powerful than film. And if you don't have a story, you don't have a film. So what I was doing is looking at it, completely differently. <laughs> I was looking at film as being the main source of purpose for me and what I really wanted to do rather than storytelling. And I realized that stories can change lives. And that's the journey that I'm on now is how can I tell stories, your story, Nancy, not just mine. How can I tell these stories to people that can inspire, motivate, educate, and challenge them to become better, to realize that they are worth something because I, I feel like we, we do live in, in such a negative world that young yeah. people that are being asked that question all the time in the school environment or whatever, wherever they are, it's almost like they get stuck. They feel miserable. It's like, oh, I don't have an answer. And they're made to feel belittled and, and low about themselves. And I think that is completely wrong. Exactly. Or they choose an answer that feels right at the time, but they're little. That's mm -hmm. why I would say they're a little young to know. And when you tell someone, I mean, they, when my kids were like two, three years old. So when the adult hears they're a little young to know, it's like, oh, of course they're too young to know. So it's, it's just kind of putting in that logic. And one of, I don't have an answer to the, when did it start? That's a really good question because I just know it's been going on for what seems to be generation after generation after generation. And I'd love to see a break in that so that people could start just focusing on the, the process. Like when you think about babies, right? I remember being really young, thinking about like, like eight, nine years old, thinking about how babies learn to walk. And we all see it. They, they stumble and fall and spend more time on the floor than they do upright right? But the baby doesn't start judging itself for falling. It doesn't question what it's doing. It doesn't go, oh, look at me, or 
nothing, no doubts. It just keeps readjusting, readjusting, learning, 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 because it's focused on walking. It has set a goal and it the baby focuses on that goal. And then what do we do as adults? We get so, we don't go, oh gosh, my, my baby keeps falling. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> My baby's like, oh, what's wrong with my baby? It's like, he took a step, right? One step, literally a baby step. And we're there celebrating our child for each literal baby step. So I think that's another one of those secrets about success, which is really focusing on the success of each step on the way to the goal and the dream not just reaching the goal and realizing the dream. Because once, go back to the baby for a second, once the baby's really walking, they're just walking and maybe running, we don't go, oh, yay, you walked today, right? So all of the excitement is in the process steps. But for some reason, and I, people reach a certain age and they stop celebrating going, oh, way, way to go me, I did that. Instead, it's all on that success result. And what you were saying earlier, how that just, it's different levels of breaking. It breaks everyone, whether it's just a shattering of your own mindset, a shattering of your own identity, or or real collapse of the person because we put it into the end result, as opposed to all the steps we can control. And in lots of competition, if you think about it, we don't necessarily control the end result. If someone is like a skater or any competition, what you can control is each step. Did you decide to try out? That's mm -hmm. a win. How many people don't go for it? How many people don't even throw their hat into the ring? Then step two, did you prepare? Yes. Okay. That's another success. You took that important step. Third, did you show up? Because how many people go, oh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then they prepare, but then they chicken out because they're, because of the fear. I mean, fear is always there. It's just whether or not it becomes a wall or a speed bump that we can roll over. So if you show up, that's another success. That's another win. And then if you actually get up there and do the performance to the best of your ability that day, that moment, not, not if you could have done better the day before, maybe better the day after that day, did you do your best? That's another success. And the last one, the one that we put all the weight into is the one that's usually out of our control. Mm -hmm. So we can really rack up all those wins, that feeling of success and boost our identity and get in touch with who we really are because we're the ones that did all of that, not the last piece. Do you believe having, speaking about and remaining on, a, on the subject of learned behaviors, do you believe then that fear is a learned behavior? I actually think that fear is part of the natural state. I think that fears are all out there kind of pointing out what we're supposed to work on. <laughs> I think what comes super easily, we have that down. But as, as works in progress, what we fear the most, I think, is what we're supposed to face. I mean, not a real fear, like going back to COVID for a second, we need to be vigilant. This is real. This, that's a real fear. There are some real dangers. But in the arc of life, most of those fears aren't real dangers. They're all emotional fears that are hazards. 
And the problem with fears, if we run from it, it gets bigger. Mm. It's like a little flame. And every time we walk away or try to move away, it's another log in the flame. It gets bigger. It gets harder. The, the fears don't go away. But if we do what we fear the most, it gets doused or it gets small enough that we can get through it. So I think we have to look at fear, like the word fearless. It's not no fear. It's not fear. No, it's mm -hmm. fearless. It's how do we fear less so we can roll forward? I think the whole arc of emotions, the whole circle of emotions, it's almost like the color wheel. If we're really living life, we're going to feel them all. We're going to feel those moments of devastation, horrible grief, doubt. So much is going to face us. But if we work through it, then we're really experiencing life to the fullest. It's even being afraid to feel that can become a barrier. And I, I really believe that we're all the writers of our own life's play. So we can write ourselves in, as the lead. So why is it that sometimes we write ourselves in as a very bit part or worse yes, yet as a member of the audience watching other people live? It's that we've let the fears and doubts overcome. And going back to the who we are versus what we do, to me, that's one of the biggest. Because if you're in the audience, you could go, oh, I could have done that part. <laughs> I could have really been good at that. Or if you're an athlete, if you are on the, in the stands and you're watching someone, you can think, oh, I could have done that really well. But if you put yourself out there, you are putting yourself on the line if you think you're what you do you're not really putting yourself on the line if you're out there to experience and learn. And that's really where that growth mindset comes from, the learning mindset that you're feeling like you're here to learn and grow and that each of these experiences add to your tapestry. Nothing takes away. I remember growing up, and the reason why I asked you that question was because growing up, I never really, that people used to say I was a kid with no fear. I was crazy and I would do things that would seem quite unnatural for a young kid to do. And because a lot of them would say, Oh no, I'm not doing that. And they'd sort of shy away from it, but I didn't want to be that person. I was like, okay, why are you not doing this? This looks like fun. I'm going to like riding down a steep hill, a rocky steep hill on a bike on a BMX bike. I would do those sorts of things. And if I fell off, then I'd be like, oh, this is great. I'm bleeding. That's all right. <laughs> Get back up and, and keep going. Or as a 12-year-old, I would play adult cricket. And like you have adults with fast, fast balls, like throwing them at me and I'd hit them as best as I possibly could. Like I just didn't have that sense. I think it was blocked by something. I don't know. But then towards later on in life, so when I got to the age of 13, 14, that's when I can pinpoint, that's when the fears and the insecurities started coming in because certain circumstances in my life changed. And then if I was to really dig deep, that's when I tried to please a girl who was depressed. I didn't know about it. And then that's when the, the feeling of feeling worthless came in that's when all the fears started to sort of erupt and because I, I think I had blocked them for such a long time that's just like 
all of them came at once <laughs> and I was trying to process each and every one of them literally at the same time. And it just made me crumble. So that was my first breaking point then. And it was a very interesting thing, Nancy. Like I love how you mentioned fear less, not no fear, because I think you're right. I think each and every one of us does have fears. It's just a different level, different stages. And um, I think with me doing, like when I first started this, I was afraid that I wouldn't be saying the right things, not asking the right questions. But what helps is doing it, failing, getting back up, apologizing, being nice to yourself, and then pushing forward. It's like exactly. okay. mm. And I think that what you went through as a teen, that, that's not the extent. It sounds like you feel everything very profoundly, which is really beautiful. And that you went from being this very physically fearless person. And then once the emotions flooded in, it sounds like it was literally like flooding an engine. So much flooded in that you weren't really quite ready. But teenage years are really hard, especially what you're saying around that 13. For some people, it's 14. Some it hits around 16. Mm. And it's, it's because it's that shift from being someone very young and adult. And it, it's like those old superimposed pictures where you're still partially a child and very much coming in as an adult and it doesn't quite gel or mesh. So it's a lot to deal with. And it sounds like you kind of worked it through on your own every time you had these, these real pivots in your life where things kind of crumbled and you rebuilt. It sounds like it was very much an inside job. It doesn't sound like you had a lot of people saying, like walking you through Mm. I had my mum and I had my grandfather early on, sort of, and I had his wisdom in the back of my mind quite often, um, sort of guiding me and helping me. And then my faith also helped uh, as well in some circumstances. But for the most part, you're right, I did realise most of the things on my own. Like when I went through depression, I saw a, a psychologist and sat down with her and we we went for for weeks just talking about life and experiences of life and I still remember a vast majority of those conversations we never really got to the depression aspect we just talked and I remember waking up one morning just being absolutely fed up with where I was feeling absolutely miserable and I'm like hang on a minute I can change this why am I going down this continuing to beat myself up and then I remember in, on, on the car ride to my school one morning, I said to my parents or my mum, I said, I'm not, I'm no longer depressed. And she almost had a heart attack. Like she was shocked. They're like, are you sure? And asked me all these questions. And I answered them because I was like, I'm no longer going to remain in that depressed state. It's my choice whether or not I want to stay here or not. So I think for a lot of young people, and what I'm curious about is, Nancy, how do you help young people going through these sort of emotional states, these fears, these um, self-doubts, all these things that a young person actually struggles with? How do you help them? Well, part of it's what you just said. I can change that. You know, the, the, the rough thing about depression is people tend to think there's a floor, 
that they're going to keep feeling depressed, feeling depressed, feeling depressed until, and they're going to reach a, a floor and then all of a sudden they'll bounce off of it. There is no floor. It, if we just keep sinking into depression, it, it can keep on going. And grief's even worse because grief's like this corkscrew of downward spiral that's even harder to pull back up from. So a lot of it's exactly what you just said. It's realizing that you have the power to make the choice. You're not a victim. Mm. You might be dealing with a lot. A lot might be coming at you. So it's not that you're choosing necessarily the things that are coming at you, but you get to choose how you assemble those in your mind and in your memory and in your, your ability to make choices. So what you did was, was extraordinary by seizing that and going forward with that. How have you been able to figure all this out for yourself? Like, has there been, what was the path for you? Did you always want to go down this road growing up or what was something that you wanted to do? I was always analyzing people and situations. And I always knew that what made me the happiest was when someone else got happy. So I never liked it when someone was feeling that that inward collapse, that feeling where it just gets more and more and, and the inner person becomes smaller and smaller to where we started with the idea of really being your full self. We want to stoke that flame where you feel your essential self just beaming out in the world. And it really would bother me so much when I would see someone afraid and worried and feeling doubts or, or unfortunately if parents were coming down very harshly on them and they were whatever was happening that was making them shrivel as a person I always felt great helping them to break out of that and feel strong like I could give a whole bunch of examples when I was little and I would help people over their little fears because people have to ride bikes and learn how to swim and so I would always step in whatever the physical barrier was or the emotional and I just always cared and it always gave me the most joy helping what motivates you now to continue doing it same thing <laughs> like the 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 feel-good fables the mission that I founded with my daughter Sarah the reason children's stories mean so much to me is that I want kids to be able to avoid or at least roll over a lot of these issues later. Because if you deal with them as they're coming at you, it's it's a storm that you're confronting. But if you can be prepared that, oh, there's going to be a storm. This is how you deal with it. I need to have my, my the right clothes. I need to have the right protection. Then they're not caught off guard. And so with so with all of these stories, the, each one covers a different issue. And again, what you said in the beginning, it's, it's to build confidence, to build self-love, empathy, purpose. And secret too, with parenting or anyone that's with a child, when you read to a child, it's like they get wrapped in the cocoon of your love. And right now, some people are feeling like they're, they don't even have time for themselves because they really are with their kids constantly and they're wearing too many hats. They're, their parent, their teacher, their counselor, everything. But even with that, 
as tired as you might be at the end of the day, if you can open up even one book, and children's books are short, two, three, four, five minutes, they're not long, and just breathe and sit there and read the story, the child goes to sleep with the sound of your voice, and hopefully there's meaning there so that there's something the child gets. And my goal is also that the parent can gain and glean something from the stories as well. So that's why that mission is really important to me and why it brought me to this point. I love it um, because I remember my mom actually reading to us like when we were young and all those good fable stories and even stories from like from the Bible. And I've got a book here. Um, it's a book on character, character mm-hmm. building. And there's a story that I remember on Ricky Tiki Tavi, uh, <laughs> the mongoose and uh, how he faced up his fear against a snake. And he took out the biggest snake in the village. And I just remember hearing that and having chills all the way down my spine. And each time I read that story to this day, I still get those chills because it is such a powerful metaphor for life. It's like you, we are that mongoose facing up against those massive snakes, trying to strangle us, trying to kill us, trying to bring us down to a low point in our life. And it's amazing how stories are able to get right into the heart, the core of who we are and influence us, to change us, to move us and to make us basically educate us really um, exactly. It's, I would, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. What were you about to say? You go, you go for it. I always think of uh, birds when they're flying and when they hit downward thermals that are pushing them down, the birds don't go, oh, I guess that's it. Stop flapping, like smack onto the ground. And they don't, they flap harder until they catch an upward thermal. And that goes back to it. What does one do? You're right. You're, you're going to get hit with all of this. But what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to flap harder? Meaning I trust myself. I trust the universe. I trust. Trust is a very important word. But a lot of it is trusting yourself. Flap harder. Find your upward thermal. It's there. You know, we all know that after winter, there's spring. But what if we didn't know? Right? What if we... Just all of a sudden we're in the middle of winter and we're experiencing day after day of gloominess and cold and we could collapse into that. But if we just keep knowing, no, spring's there. It's the same thing with all of life. It's there. We have those ups and downs. And if we can just keep flapping, we find it. And and with the stories, it's almost a way to, again, the stories have to have some kind of meaning and message, like the one you said that's so powerful. And with the one you had mentioned, the first book that's coming out, Tina Searches for Her Dream, has a lot of messages, even though it's just the little story that carries you along. But it has the idea of not getting stuck, making the pivot, trusting, you know, following your, searching for your dream, finding your dream and it doesn't necessarily happen right away. I mean, she goes through a lot. She's not, she's not good at a lot of these sports that she tries. So, and she doesn't get humiliated. She could be really, but she just keeps on going. And there's even a line, 
you know, the trainer called out, waving her crop, keep going, keep going, keep going, don't stop. And to me, that's one of the key messages. Just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. Don't, don't, don't give up. I have a unless saying. You're in the wrong, yeah, unless you're in the wrong area, then make the pivot. And that sunk cost that adults deal with all the time. And like you were saying, you put so much time and energy into being a filmmaker. It's hard to stop and make the pivot. And you did it young enough that now you have a whole new journey, but it's never too late to make the pivot. Because even if some opportunities are past, fine, they're gone. There are new ones. You know, past is past. It doesn't have to be prologue. You can find the next journey as long as you are willing to let it go. Even if you've put in a tremendous amount of time, energy, resources. I mean, that's something that I faced. My mom had wanted to be a lawyer. She didn't go into law. So even though my passion was business, she wanted me to go into law. I went into law, graduated law school, but it wasn't for me. So it's so for me that pivot. But that's what Tina, what Tina teaches a lot of messages. And at the very end, she's surrounded by all these friends that she picked up along the way because I wanted that message. She tried technically failed right no it didn't this one didn't work that one didn't work this but she gained she gained skills she gained knowledge information and friends and at the end they're all there celebrating her with the dream that she has found because I want kids to also get that subtle message when your friends are doing well cheer them along you know be excited for their successes and they should be excited for yours we're all in this and one gaining doesn't take away from someone else. And that is also another hazard in that you're not what you, you know, what you do, because if only if it's only what you do, and there's only one person that can win the race or one person that can win the election or one person that then there, it creates a kind of underlying jealousy and unhealthy competition. I like competition, mm. but I, I believe in competing like a swimmer in your own lane, aiming to be your own best time. So it's, you can beat your own best time. You can aim to beat your own best time. It's not what's going on around you. So that's why at the end of Tina, she's there with everyone. Like, yeah. I feel like there is so many stories in your life, uh, Nancy, that I haven't even unboxed yet. We haven't even covered. I mean, you just mentioned that you went to law school, you graduated from law school, but it wasn't for you. You're, you've got all these avenues in your life, which are absolutely fascinating. And now you're doing this amazing thing, which I applaud you for. And I think this is an amazing thing. Like don't be you. I know it's probably hard to get this kind of message out there to people, but I just want to encourage you. Don't, don't stop. And I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. Um, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, Nancy, so many. <laughs> but one in particular that I want to ask you, um, what was the biggest challenge for you in writing the, this book? In writing up? Okay, oh, before I answer that, may I just say one extra thing about Tina? Of course. Well, I'll get to that in a bit. So you were saying what was the... Oh, actually, I really would like it. Well, another thing that excites me about Tina, Searches for Her Dream, is the entire book is 
filled with diverse characters. And Tina, you can actually choose one of three books. The Tina is either the, the lightest skin tone Tina, medium skin tone Tina, or deepest skin tone Tina. So the interior of the book is basically the same, but your lead is a different little girl because my daughter and I and others as well really believe that you should be able to see yourself reflected in the books that you read. And only about 20, 22% of books have any diversity at all. So we're excited about that. And in terms of writing a book, the books always start with some message that I, I want to impart, some issue that a child's confronting or some emotional challenge that I want to clarify. And like, for example, you can't just tell someone, share your toys. I mean, adults don't really want to share things either, right? But we expect kids to share very easily. It doesn't work to say share or, or, or really value who someone is on the inside, value who they are. So whenever I would hear something, I would want, I would take that gem or kernel of an issue and then want to create the metaphor, the analogy, the allegory around that so that the child could then hear it and think, oh, I want to act like that. Or I want to, I want to treat people this way or, oh, I can go for it. Or mom, dad, I don't want to do that. I thought I wanted to, to in Tina's case, I, I thought I wanted to be a dancer, but that's just not for me, right? There must be a better dream out there for me. So that's what started it. And then telling a story is, as you know so well, is different than when you write something or when you were doing the filmmaking. So I like to, to tell stories but then you have to kind of strip that apart and try to get down to the essential words that will communicate that as opposed to all those extra fluffy words that kind of fit in when you're telling something instead of writing it. And as I said before, I want them to be short so that parents, short enough that parents can say and other people, with anyone with a child can say, oh, I have time to read this. I might be tired, but I have time to go through the story. Where can people find these books and get their own copy? So they can go on to feelgoodfables.com. They can also go on to Amazon. And what I'm really excited about is my daughter and I are on a mission to have, with the support of, of companies and individuals, to donate a million books over the next three years. And it's over the three years that we hope to get out the 12 books in the series. And while we're hoping to have, you know, major corporations donate, the truth is in one classroom is $350, but even one book, if you think about it, we're, we want these books to get to children in underserved communities. And so many kids have never even owned one book. So these aren't paperback books. These are hard-covered books offset printed, really high quality, and one book from someone's heart to someone, some child's hands can make such a big difference because so many of these kids that are in that situation feel very forlorn. They feel 
truly, they are at that moment sidelined, but they can still change their lives if they see and know what's possible. I mean, the word possible is such an important word. When we can see what's possible, we can make it improbable and then reality. But if we don't see what's possible, then that dark reality stays as it is. So can you imagine how it feels for a child that never even had a book? Find out that someone out there bought a book for them and it got delivered just to them. They can hold that book and then not only does the book hopefully have meaning to them by itself, just the act that someone out there is aware of them and cared about them can be even a bigger meaning. So I really pray that people will share these books with, with kids all over the country. I share your heart and I share your message. And I hope that it does come to pass that millions upon millions of young people, old people, doesn't matter, get to experience these books, these stories for themselves. I think it, that's, that's from my heart. I really do believe that. Yeah. I, I have wanted to help people for even when I was um, a young kid as well. Like when someone would fall on the play, playground, I would always go up to them and try and help them as best I could. So hearing part of your story today and, and your message, it's really inspiring. So thank you so much for that, Nancy. One final question for you, if you don't mind. This is my all-time favorite question. So I want you to imagine with me, this is a hypothetical one, but imagine with me for a moment that you have been able to reach the age of 100. Your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic, <laughs> but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Mm. Well, I have actually always thought of life as one long ongoing movie and each of us enters and exits at a different time in the plot line. So when it's my time to exit, and I like the fact that it's way out there at 100, I, I actually, I want to share another thought then. I, I believe that at that point, when we do, when it is our time to exit, the question is, is the world a better place because of the part we've played? So when that real plays, I hope the answer is yes. That is a perfect send-off. <laughs> I could not. That is amazing. Well, Nancy Gans, thank you once again for your time, your message, and your story, and for coming on the Storybox podcast. I'll make sure that all the links are in the, in the show notes below so people can get a copy of your book. But thank you. Thank you. And may I say one thing else about you? Of course. You've, re you've really touched my heart. You have such, I can, I can really feel you have this, when I was saying before, beaming, you have this beaming heart and soul that's just beautiful. So thank you for 
inviting me and, and this was, it was wonderful meeting you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.